Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. Menas. And joining me this week on the panel, I have journalist, podcaster, humorist, crossword film and music trio maniac. Am I saying that right? That is correct. A fellow of instant, infinite jest and most excellent fancy. Welcome to the show, Patrick Avenal. Thank you very much, Menas. Great to be joining you again. Now, I was trawling through your Twitter feed for a cricket uh, tweet, and I found this one from yesterday. This is a uh, sample of your humour. New South Wales has won the Matador Cup final. Great news for the Premier State and entry-level barbecue brand fans. That's right. That harks back to my old days as a appliance journalist and editor that I, uh, I know Matador barbecues in- intimately. <laughs> And the other panellists joining us this week, we have a musician, anarchist, cricket pundit, podcaster, friend and gamer. And uh, this guy has been doing a bit of soul searching this week because he tweeted, how did the black caps go backwards so quickly? McCullough must have been one hell of a leader after all. I'm talking, of course, of Kiwi Bob. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, Pat. How are you? Hey, Menas. Um, yeah, well, New Zealand not faring very well in the subcontinent, but uh, probably don't need to... You're looking pretty chipper, though, despite it all. Well, I mean, we, they won one game so far so on the tour. But, um, yeah, well, New South Wales won yesterday as well, the Matador Cup. So some good news. And we've got some, a very exciting cricketer summer to look forward to. Yeah, big uh, summer of cricket. Summer of cricket. Have there been many Kane not able headlines written yet? <laughs> That's their must have. <laughs> I'm sure there's been a few. But Pat's going to write one. Yeah, well, there's a good in, tweet for tomorrow. We've got a lot to talk about in this show. We've got uh, the commentary, critique, read and react. We're going to debate who we think will be in the test side. Patrick's already thrown up some crazy names before the show even started, so this could get out of hand. But before we get into all that, I want to talk about an exciting new giveaway going on at the moment. Now, it's not coming from the podcast. It's coming out of the offices in Jollymont in Melbourne, and they're giving away Australian caps this summer because they've bowed to the crowded schedule and they've, and they've got a T20 international in Australia the day before the test side plays the first test in India next year. So 
So basically, put your name in the hat and you might be a chance of playing for Australia because all our best players will be in India preparing for the first test. What do you think, guys? I think any pretense that we had one Australian cricket team playing three versions of the same sport is going to be over by the time this game comes around because they're going to have the A team over in India and decidedly B team in... Where's this, the third one in Melbourne or in Geelong? It's in Geelong, I think. And uh, that's going to be a, a, an un, a very unusual looking Australian side. Well, I'll tell you what it'll be. It'll be the leftovers who haven't been good enough for the test squad. And then it'll be the big bash stars. And in itself, that will be a good side. So I'm not against that team playing. But what I think it's doing is devaluing the value of the Australian cap. By doing this, you're bringing down the whole brand of the Australian cap. I think what should have happened is the Cricket Australia shouldn't have scheduled these T20 games. They knew this was a distinct possibility that India would have them playing the first test on those dates, and they still went ahead with this meaningless T20 series. And I just think there must be players who work so hard to get their Aussie cap thinking now, oh, you just get them like a dime a dozen. Yeah, well, we might see a repeat of last year as well, where we have guys like Chris Lynn, who's you know picked for Australia, and... Um, summarily dismissed. Um, you know when the when the main stars come back, uh, come back into the fray. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Like you say, there'll be a lot of stars coming out of the big bash. So but I don't Bob, think the don't team think, will be weak. Bob, but should they schedule the games though? That's my point. Um, well, there was foresight in the fixturing. They knew this was a possibility. Why get greedy then? Maybe play one T Twenty game against Sri Lanka to end the summer. But this series is it's not going to be a joke. But it's going to be a second rate side devaluing the brand of Australian cricket. The whole summer is a Frankenstein. Mad has come out. Of It's it's a whole Frankenstein summer, the way it's all been pieced together with tests against uh, South Africa, one day is against New Zealand, and then in the middle of our summer, the Australian team fly over to New Zealand for three matches, which I can't remember Australia ever leaving Australia and then returning to continue the summer. Yeah, during the summer. I think it was a deal done um, to get New Zealand to agree Did to, you the, break to the day night test. I wish I was part of it because I would have had more of them, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not opposed to uh, like a six one day series against New Zealand. I think that they're, you know, a fantastic rivalry has emerged that we must feed. But I just think it's so unusual the way we can't have uh, like a traditional summer of tests and one days. And then because there were clearly, there was a shortfall of T20s, and obviously Sri Lanka, you know, is keen to play some some cricket at some point. We've, we're inviting them over to play three games that already were criminally meaningless. And then we've just put the final nail in the coffin <laughs> yeah, by right. sending all the, all the A-listers over to India. Yeah, I mean, maybe we have to get used to a time. I mean, this is not going to, this is not going to slow down. I think we're going to see more and more cricket. And I think what we maybe will have to become accustomed to is having different sides. So you'll have your, your first choice 11, they get picked for the test side, they're over in India preparing, and then you've got your sort of you know, fringe players, as you say, all the, um, you know, the outstanding performers from the Big Bash who can use these games to maybe put their hands up for uh, 50 over cricket and obviously the, you know, the important T20s if, if there is such a thing. Well, I'm not happy. I've got, I'm just going to leave it at that. Not happy with the scheduling of that one and just bringing down the whole brand. But let's get into a big announcement coming at the end of this week. The first test side will be announced for Australia, playing South Africa at the Wacker. There's a lot of, a few contentious spots. I think Are you keeping your phone on, Menas, in case you get the call? Well, I'm certainly not going to be playing. I wouldn't mind having a go at selecting. I think, uh, 
Uh, I'd throw my name in the hat as a selector if they'll have me. Uh, but no, so with the, the contentious spots, so I think the, the first contentious spots are the two and three spot. They have Warner opening, and then who's going to partner him, and then who's going to bat three. Now, Usman Khawaja labelled himself and Joe Burns the scapegoats of the Sri Lankan tour. Do we think Burns and Khawaja are a chance at coming back for this match? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, they, they, they absolutely are. I mean, after the summer they had last year, we're back in home conditions now, pretty familiar to them. Steve Waugh came out earlier in the week and said he'd like to see Bancroft given a go. Yeah, but Steve Waugh, in that interview, clearly said, I have not been following the cricket. So it wasn't a very good question. He just pulled a few names from the hat. Uh, he said, I've been bike riding every day. Don't really know who's available. But looking to the future, right? So we're going over to India. The plan- but sorry, Bancroft. I wouldn't take Bancroft. I think, how can you bring in Bancroft after what Burns did last summer with three or four test centuries, did well with Warner. Bancroft would be too left field. Yeah, but you don't want to debut Bancroft in India. This is the thing. So give him a chance to get, I guess, comfortable playing for Australia. It's a straight swap. And then he's ready to go when they hit the subcontinent in the new year. I, I think that's taking the eye off the ball a little bit, Bob. You don't want to blood someone for a tour to India at the end of summer when you've got a real chance that South Africa or Pakistan could win this, the series in Australia. The Australian cricket team has fallen into the trap of being in a permanent state of planning for the next series. Like uh, back in Sri Lanka when we rested all our players for the South Africa series, it was just resting players for one meaningless series to play another meaningless series. I would say let's just pick the best 11 we can pick for this test and when the India series comes around, we pick the best 11 for India. And going on that, you'd think Burns and Khawaja come in with the form. They did well on these wickets last year. I don't think Khawaja did himself any favours with those comments. You know, that they were sort of... They weren't the, the traditional, I'm going to cop this on the chin and go back and make myself a better mm. cricketer, the script that you're supposed to read from when you're dropped. Uh, but I do think that they will pick Burns and Khawaja simply because no one else is really... Uh, you know, Sean Marsh is injured. That yeah, oh, sure. Sean Marsh would be the first choice if, if he were really? injured. Really? Really? Oh, I, I don't think there's any doubt that if Sean Where Marsh... Where would you have him? Opening with oh, Warner? Be opening. If Sean and Marsh then Kawaja is fit, at three? If Sean Marsh is fit, he will be opening. It's his home ground. He, you know, they love picking him and re-picking him. I think horses for courses, though. Sean Marsh has struggled on in home conditions more, more than anything else. So, yeah, I wouldn't have Marsh in there. I think we need well, to the, go back to the, the three that did so well for a lot of test matches. Mm. I, I agree with you guys. Maybe Kawaja at three. I don't have a problem with that at all. But I do think we need to really just pick someone to partner Warner for the long term. Yeah, and Burns, I think that's what Bancroft's going to bring to the, to the uh, table. Burn, you're just upset that Burns smashed your Kiwi attack all over the park earlier this year and rested the Trans-Tasman trophy. <laughs> I don't know. I had a very good look at Burns in Sri Lanka. And um, I don't know. I think you guys have short memories. Uh, I don't think you can judge the, the, those players on those yeah. performances. Oh, look, I wouldn't be surprised if he is picked. But uh, I'd like to see a longer term uh, view on that. Okay, so I think the rest of the middle order and lower order is pretty much set. You'll have Smith, Voges, Mitch Marsh as your four, five, and six. Neville will be the keeper. Then you've got a pretty solid bowling attack of Lyon, Stark, and Hazelwood. They're all fit. And then the debate now centres around that third quick. As ever in the Australian Cricket Podcast, it's a list of injured bowlers that are unavailable more than the bowlers that are available. All the, the traditional names of Pattinson and Cummins and all these big bristling fast bowlers uh, on the on the sidelines with all these bowling rules. They're, they're not bowling in this format. They're not bowling in that format. And it comes down to, I think, two players, Jackson Bird and Peter Siddle. Any preferences on the panel for either of those two? I would pick Peter Siddle because I think that he is a more conservative, steady choice who knows 
the whacker uh, intimately and he will add uh, a bit of restraint which will allow Stark and Hazelwood to let a rip on the on the whacker surface. I think if you pick Bird, you run the risk of having three similar bowlers who can all be taken apart by what is a very accomplished South African batting lineup against pace bowling. Mm, yeah, and no, I wouldn't argue with that at all. I think Banana Man's got to be your choice, um, Peter Settle. He uh, apparently, by all accounts, has a bit of pace back that he was maybe maybe didn't have last year. And uh, so he's running in, and he'll give you that heart. He's that lion heart for when the ball's a little bit older and you've got 20 overs to go before the new, the new pill. And, um, yeah, Siddle's your man, I think. Siddle gives you control, but I like Jackson Bird's extra bounce. I thought he bowled well in, in New yep. Zealand earlier this year. He, he, does, he doesn't have quite the control of Peter Siddle, but I think he can extract more from the wicket. So I'd like to see Bird as that third quick, Siddle carrying the drinks. But it's, it's a line ball. I don't think you're going to lose much by having Siddle there because what he does do... He just ties the runs down, and the, the other bowlers seem to be able to get wickets at the other end while, while he's bowling. So he's a good yeah. partnership bowler. <clears throat> Either way they go, this I think you're right. I think it is going to come down to those two. Go big, um, One thing you did there is you just skipped over Mitch Marsh there at number six, just sort of assuming that he's going to be picked. I mean, are we that confident? He's uh, I, I think... woefully out of form. He scored nothing in the Matador Cup. And um, there's someone oh. knocking on his heels, a captain of New South Wales, who uh, is actually... I guess you could say incumbent in the test side. He played the second and third tests in Sri Lanka. Um, and he's a pretty handy bat and uh, not bad with the ball, Moses Henriques. Yeah, I don't think I they'll go the be, way of Henriques. I would Henriques. be shocked if Henriques is picked ahead of Mitchell Marsh. There just seems to be a movement that we're just going to give Mitchell Marsh as many chances as it takes for him to come good. And he scored a half century in the last test in Sri Lanka. So he's got some form in the test arena. Marsh, Lehman and I think Smith love having that fifth bowling option. For them, it's so key to the way they're constructing this team at the moment is having that all-rounder at six who can bowl 10, 15 overs. Agreed, And that allows them to then operate someone like Mitch Stark as a real attacking weapon and bowl them in short, aggressive spells, knowing they've got the backup. So I think Mitch Marsh is locked in, but I wouldn't think Henriques would be... I mean, he'd be in the in the, the the frame, but I think someone like Marcus Stoinis, who's probably a little bit better bowler than Henriques, would be yeah. someone knocking on the door for that sixth spot. Well, that's it. Is I think it's its bowling that actually hurts him. Um, you know, Mitch Marsh is is a, is a is a very skilled bowler. You know, he gets in close to the stumps and he swings it um, both ways. And I think it's his bowling that's actually stopped the axe from falling on his head, isn't it? So far, so. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing for me is, is at number six, I think you still need a quality bat here in Australia, and, and that's w- where I have a few question marks around Mitch Marsh. But, well, look, hopefully he comes good. Hopefully this is his breakout summer, right? Because there's, uh, there's a few murmurings about um, he's a bit of a passenger in that side. So. Well, I think it's unfair because last summer when we had the, the pretty paltry attack of the West Indies and a New Zealand attack that was didn't perform that well. Uh, Mitch Marsh hardly got, a, hardly got a run in the middle. By the time he got there, you know, it was four for 600. So I think he, he really suffered from that, and I think we'll see much better stuff from him in the test arena. Back to the bowlers, though. Tremaine, Many, and Worrell all went on the South African uh, one-day tour. They all had great shield seasons last year, but I just don't think they'll bring them in to the test side after what the South African batsmen did to them. It'd be shot in the arm for South Africa. Well, I'm uncertain what the Australian cricket team's plans are for Patrick Cummins, but he had a fantastic Matador Cup. He's he's sitting out this opening shield round. Uh, He is the bowler that I would be wanting in the test side. Well, he's earmarked that tour of India next year as a possible return Mm. to red ball cricket. I think that of all the bowlers we've mentioned, he's the best. 
And I, I think that in a straight shootout, he's always going to be picked ahead of Tremaine, Many, and Worrell, who most Australians wouldn't be able to pick in a lineup. Now, there's been some talk about how vocal this series is going to be. And it's, it's a really interesting one because there's, there's a lot of different sides emerging about how Steve Smith at the end of the Sri Lankan tour said that the team was a bit quiet and he thinks they need to be more vocal, more energetic. And Mitchell Johnson's book was uh, released today in Australia and he's come out and said in his book that when Brad Haddon went out of the side, that took a lot of noise out of the side. Pete Neville, great keeper, but a lot quieter, uh, not the needling figure that Haddon was and he also said that David Warner is as quiet as a mouse on the field now and doesn't say anything so effectively the Australian team had its two most vocal players ripped out of it and they haven't replaced it I think perhaps um, the Australian side could ramp up the, the the sledging this series against South Africa what do you think well I would like to see Australia not sledge at all I think that there's nothing wrong with being vocal in terms of encouraging each other and and you know yelling out support for each other but I, I think that the sledging has gone too far I think a lot for the vast majority of it is just witless abuse I don't think that it does lead to success the way a lot of Australians have I think it's affecting it. the energy on the field I think that's where Smith's coming from not mm. the nature of the sledging but the it's it's a drop in energy on the field yeah, I mean, I've only been here, I guess, about three years now, guys, and, and I, it came as quite a shock to me to learn that the, this uh, sledging culture uh, actually is fairly commonplace across all sports and across all Australians, from what I can tell, right? So it's really refreshing to hear that from you, Pat, um, because even in indoor cricket, like, what I've noticed is my team, bit of banter, yeah, it's a bit of fun, a bit of, uh, a, bit of a hit and a giggle. As soon as someone starts laying into them, like actual, as you say, abuse... That's when you get the best out of these guys. And, and I think it would be un-Australian if there wasn't some type of carry-on on the field. I, you know, and I've, I've had a go at Mitchell Stark for throwing the ball and getting a bit uh, like losing his temper. There's, there's, a, there's a fine line there somewhere, and they need to find that. But, um, yeah, as I say, I mean, it just wouldn't be Australia if, uh, I mean, if Faf, there wasn't a bit of argy-bargy. South African captain Faf Duplessis said that he thought the Australian side he encountered in the recent one-day series was as quiet as he's ever played. So well, I, think, I, think, I don't think that's good either. Yeah, there's, there's no, no doubt right. that when you're being hammered game after game, you, it's going to be hard to, to speak up and to be too vocal. But I don't think that just suddenly coming out and sledging is going to suddenly mean you play better. I think that focusing on being uh, vocal should be focused around encouraging each other and supporting each other and train off the pitch if you want to play better. And I think that Faf Duplessis chose his words very carefully. I think that they're, they're playing a longer game here, the South Africans. They know that Australia are, are not as prepared as we'd like to be. And I think that if they can lull Australia into thinking that this is going to be won through sledging instead of through good cricket, South Africa's going to have the upper hand. Take our eye off the ball, so to speak. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the thing with South Africa, they've got a, quite a new-look side coming over. There's a lot of younger players, and, and anything they can do, I think, just to unsettle the, these Australian guys, I think they're going to try and do it because they don't have that weight of experience to fall back on. So, um, yeah, as you say, good, good tactics from Faf, and uh, it's, yeah... Well, it's a bit of a shootout this week in the Sheffield Shield. All these players that are vying for spots in the test side are playing in a, a day-night r- round of Shield cricket. So I guess if Burns or Kawaja or Siddle or uh, Bird takes, uh, you know, performs well, then they'll find themselves in the test side. 
All right, so next segment this week in the Australian Cricket Podcast, and it's a segment that I've wrestled with over the last couple of weeks. It's a, a, a difficult subject to tackle, but I think I don't want to shy away from the big issues in Australian cricket. So Read and React this week is, is focused around the coroner's inquest into the death of Philip Hughes. And I've got a couple of different sources here, but I've gone firstly for Jared Kimber, an article he wrote on Crick Info, and I think he summed up the mood of the cricket community in Australia really well with what is written here. I'll continue. The coroner's inquest into the death of Philip Hughes should have been an opportunity for cricket to learn from its most public tragedy and ensure that the game was safer from now on. But because of the extreme hurt felt by the Hughes family and the players feeling like they were on trial, what transpired did not benefit cricket or the family. Then he goes on to write about bouncers. Hughes wasn't the last player to be subjected to a barrage of them, and that is what the inquest should have been about, how to make facing a bouncer as safe as we can make it. Perhaps the coroner's inquest was not the perfect place to talk about protecting cricketers as there was so much emotion around it. But we must now have this conversation. Cricket should have, should have had a safety summit to try and make the game safer. The game owes it to Phil Hughes and to every player who picks up a bat. And I think that was very well written, very um, sums up, I think, the way a lot of us feel, that we thought the coroner's inquest would be about players' safety and response times and uh, the way we deal with players' protection. But what, it's, what it seemed to go down was the way in which the ga- that actual game was played and the build-up to the incident, what was said, the style of cricket was seemed to call into question. What did you guys think? I mean, this, the, the, the sledge in question, the I'm going to kill you by Doug Bollinger, I don't know whether he said it or not, but, it seems to, but it's a little bit irrelevant because so much of that sort of stuff has been said and it hasn't led it's to It's not anyone. a little bit irrelevant. It's wholly irrelevant. It's totally yeah. irrelevant. There was no intention. Yeah. And I think that it was so unfortunate that that's come up because it, it's cast uh, Bollinger in a bad light. It, I, I feel for the Hughes family sort of having to listen to that. You can only imagine how bad that was. Coronial inquests are by their nature very hard on the families of the people that died because they're not trials where at the end you get a verdict that can give you closure on a loved one's death. They're, they're more about protecting the, those of us who remain and it's not really a huge amount of care goes to the person who died. And I, I, I believe this, this inquest had to happen. Cricket is an activity that what, 80, 90% of Australians play at some point and we all do so thinking that it's completely safe. And then out of nowhere, a person died. We have to figure out why that happened and how we can make sure it never happens again. And it's unfortunate that Phil was the guinea pig for this and that his family had to go through it. But it had to happen. And I'm glad that it did. And I hope that some good does come out of it. I do think that some of the but players... But don't you think it got misguided and got off direction? Well, I think that this a one? lot of the, the Australian players who, who were involved and gave evidence... Obviously, there was a culture where they became very defensive because mm. they, they did feel as though because it was a courtroom setting that they, would, they, they all, all obviously thought that they were on trial and that some sort of culpability was going to be assigned. And I think that could have been handled a lot better. And I, I, I find it amazing the fracture that has happened between the Hughes family and Cricket Australia. How, how they have let that happen is, is disgraceful. And I lay the blame on Cricket Australia because... It, it, the Hughes have lost their son. They've got every right to be angry. But, but I mean, the thing is, I, I find it very hard to blame Cricket Australia for this because, like you say, I mean, you know, we had to have the inquest to, to get answers, right? But 
we already knew the answers. We all know the answer. You know, he tried to, to hook a ball that was maybe got through a bit quick on him and, and it hit him in the neck and he died, right? Like, we, what, what more could they possibly gain from this inquest? Well, I, I think that a recommendation might be that, you know, we're going to go to a stage where they're just, done, instead of one bouncer per over, there are no bouncers per over. And that a bouncer is an automatic no ball. And the second time you bowl one, you're removed from the attack. Yeah, I just think that's impossible. I mean, that's, that's full. That's ridiculous. It would be I mean, ridiculous. How can you police that? Oh, I slipped out. And yet, never going to happen. I think what the inquest needed to be about was response times, the nature yeah. of the equipment, and not about the style of play. But bef- and I was going to say, I think you make a very good point about response times. It was ridiculous. The how Twenty long minutes it took, to get yeah. the ambulance. Said that's the sort mm. of stuff that should have been really laid out for everyone to work out a better way of doing it. They do have to do these coronial inquests. It is part of the law to do it. And perhaps part of the frustration of cricket fans is, is just a frustration with this ju- judicial process that we're, you know, we're seeing before us where they talk about things in a way that's away from cricket. So it, in a different context, it, it looks different. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was really bad. But what I do want to read out before we move on, because I think the Hughes family's message didn't get out there enough. And this is, this is from Peter Layla in the Australian, and this is from the Hughes family. This has been frustrating and heartbreaking for us, Megan told the Weekend Australian. We didn't want an inquest. We didn't want anybody punished. And we didn't do this because we have any intention to sue anybody, which is what some people are saying. When we learned there was going to be an inquiry, we were reluctant and we didn't know what to do. We just wanted to know what happened. I guess we thought something good might come of it, so nobody else has got to go through what we did. I think um, pretty much says it all. All right, well, let's move on from this week's Read and React, a very difficult subject to tackle on the podcast, but I think one that uh, we needed to get to get something out there, especially that message from the Hughes family. Now, before we move on, uh, let, I want to go through the Have A Go Your Mug promotion. It's the Have A Go Your Mug mug promotion. Now, I'll just run you through again. If you leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you listen to the show on, Email me at auscricketpod, A-U-S cricketpod at gmail.com and then you'll go in the draw for a Have A Go Your Mug Australian Cricket Podcast mug. Um, Also, if you don't want to leave a review on iTunes, you can subscribe to the show on Patreon for $5 a month or more and you will get a mug straight away. Thanks to the reviews this week from Beck Jones, James and Dinesh, uh, who put a review on the US iTunes site. So remember, I only see the reviews on the Aussie iTunes site unless you email me and I can go and check some other sites. So if you're in an exotic location and you want to enter the competition, please do. But send me an email at auscricketpod, A-U-S cricketpod at gmail.com. Oh, this is going to be fun. Oh, you get to pick the winners. Pick one out. Hey, here we go. And the winner is Beck. And we've just chosen the first winner of the Have A Go You Mug mug, and it was Beck Jones. Thank you for the great review, and uh, we'll be sending that mug out as soon as they're back from the printers. Now, as ever, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, we're on Gmail, auscricketpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, at auscricketpod. We're on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, rate the show, tell all your friends about the show, and you can find us on every podcast app. Seven overs to be bowled here at the Wacker. Ricky Ponting won the toss and very popular player. Andrew Simons, and why not? He's a great entertainer to challenge his final over. Here he goes, there he goes, all the way up into the stand. What a hit in the first tier. That's an air cricket ball. Welcome back 
to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That is indeed hitting a cricket ball. That was Andrew Simons hitting Jeetan Patel out of the ground. Massive six. Great commentating there from Bill Laurie. Great call of that six, which leads me on to the commentator critique this week. And a little bit of a different one. We've got some news in the commentary world. Andrew Simons is going into the Channel 10 box for the Big Bash. What do we think of Roy's entry into the commentary circle full-time? Uh, I think this is a good move. Uh, I think Andrew is quite strident in his views, and I, I think he'll be uh, quite open in, in saying what he thinks about the major issues of the day. And I think that he's on Channel 10 instead of on Channel 9 means that he, he won't hold back. I think Channel 10 has... The commentators on 10 seem to have a little bit more freedom to criticise the game, whereas at 9 they tend not to criticise the game as much. Yeah, it's a gala atmosphere, isn't it, on uh, on the Big Bash? Um, so, I mean, hard act to follow. They've got to beat uh, KP and, and Freddie Flintoff from last year. I think Flintoff was a bit of a fan favourite. So Not on this um, show, was <laughs> it? Maybe not on this show. But, but uh, fit, Freddie certainly fit into the mood that they were trying to set, which yeah, was a welcoming, yeah, fun and mode. friendly... <laughs> I think you're being very harsh. I really liked Freddie. I think he's sort of like, I like a guy who's so comfortable being the butt of the joke. I just think he was just too much Freddie, too much Freddie. He was too much laughing, too hyped up. That he needs to well, just extend it. But back to Roy. So back, back, to, back Roy. to Roy. So hopefully he talks about cricket, not just beer and fishing. But the, the thing about the Roy is he's got a really dry sense of humour. Yeah. I think he'd be a great person to sit down and have a chat with. And I hope he conveys that when he's commentating because... He's got he, he's got great timing. When he's done some commentary in the past, he's got a really good timing for his humour. So I think he'll be actually really good in there, and he'll mix up someone like Freddie when they go a bit mm. too far with their commentating. I, I I'm really looking forward to the Big Bash on Ten. I think that they present cricket uh, in a really uh, amiable way for the next generation of fans. And I don't think Channel Nine does a very good job uh, presenting the game to the the next generation. I think our generation, the thirty year olds plus, we're already locked in. But in order to capture, <laughs> in order to capture the twelve and thirteen year olds and the burgeoning female audience, you have to. You can't just present it as a rugby tour. Well, I'll tell you what won't help the female yeah. audience. They brought Darren Shrek Lehman into the commentary box for some guesties. Now, I'm not sure how Lehman's going to fit in uh, commentating and the the busy schedule for. The Australian and he's team. the father of a player. But he, he is going to be there. So I think he'll bring some good insights being a current coach. But hmm. do we, have we heard Booth commentate before? I'm not sure I have. Uh, no, I've heard a few interviews here and there. But um, I think that's all he'll be there for really is a few interviews. He's got another job he needs to focus on, doesn't he? Yeah, and what about an, another player who's going to be guesting in the commentary box when he's not playing? Brendan McCullum, you must be happy with that one, Bob. What's yeah. his commentary like? Well, I wouldn't have a clue. Like I've been listening to um, you know New Zealand's tour of India, and Stephen Fleming's been over there, so I've really enjoyed his insight. So let's hope um, Baz, you know, another iconic Kiwi captain, can uh, can contribute. I, I honestly have not a, not much of an idea what to expect. I know he is a joker. Um, so I'd imagine uh, in a similar sort of vein as Simon's, but uh, he was never see. shy of an opinion. Yeah, that's in, right. in press conferences, so I, I I imagine that would be quite welcome as opposed to some of the more laconic players who you never sort of understood why they wanted to become commentators. They they said so little. Yeah, I think it's interesting mm. though when you have someone like McCullum who's playing in the Big Bash and they're going to mix commentary between games. You get an interesting insight into the tournament. You sort of have this meta. Um, inside, outside view coming through. So I think that'll, that's, that'll be a, un, a nice part of his commentary. Now, let's get on to Michael Clark. I didn't mention it in the last show, but he did a very high-profile interview here on a current affairs program. And I just want to lay out there that 
I find it really hard to take seriously when someone like Michael Clark does an interview with their employer. So he's going to be heading up the Channel 9 commentary team and oh, he's interviewed on a Channel 9 show just before he takes on that role. Just doesn't sit well with me, doesn't look good. I can't really take anything he says that seriously when he's interviewed by his employer. The industry of Michael Clark is something that the whole of Australia has never felt that comfortable with. But he has got a new book out as well, so he had to do the interview to promote that. I mean, it starts off him and his baby, typical, you know, start, you know, soften him up. And then it's him with his wife sitting there and they ask like a slightly hard question to start off with. So you think it's going to be a proper interview. But then as it gets on, it's just one word answers to the really tough questions. So you don't actually get any probing or any any further delving into what he's actually thinking and feeling. It was just very vanilla. I mean, I I actually quite like that's maybe harsh on vanilla. Perhaps I perhaps prefer watching him bat than hearing him speak, but well, I think we'd all much prefer watching him bat. <laughs> I, I've got to be honest; I don't think he's got the great diction you need for to be a cricket commentator. Your sport, you know, you know, when you're talking for all day for six hours, I, I'd be interested to see how how he performs in this hosting role because apparently they've shelved Mark Nicholas and he's going to be wearing the beige, as they say, and hosting it. I, is that really going to keep people interested in cricket? No, he's such a polarizing no, figure. I don't think it will at all. I think he's the worst person to put in Richie's chair. The absolute worst person to follow in his footsteps. I think I said it all. So I want to now go on to, we saw in the Matador Cup a variety of commentators coming in. It was a revolving door, but we got to see some current players commentating, which made me think of a few current players that might be good commentators when they retired. And I'm going to throw a few names out there, and I want to get whether I think George Bailey would be a good commentator. Oh, I think George Bailey is perhaps the wittiest Australian cricketer of my generation. Um, wow, that's a big call. He's. It, I remember... Uh, going back to when uh, it used to be the, the Big Bash was state-based, he was interviewed at the end of Tasmania losing the semi-final, and the commentator said to him, how does it feel that you've just played your last 2020 game for Tasmania? And he looked us straight in the eye and said, oh, I'm not looking forward to playing for the Hobart Hurricanes. And it was just a very amusing moment, it just you know, completely you know, talking off script about, you know, about how unrepresentative that was about to become. So I, I'm, I think that he would be very good at commentary. Yeah, he was the first name that sprung to mind for me as well. Um, out of the, you know, out of the current players. Um, yeah, he's all, the thing I love about Bailey. He's forever the optimist. He's so positive, and uh, he'd he'd make you feel better staying up until two in the morning watching in Sri Lanka, right? So I reckon the Duke John Hastings would be another good commentator. You don't hear many fast bowlers uh, commentating, but I've heard him a couple of times. I actually think the Duke would be a good commentator going forward, and perhaps Peter Siddle. Yeah, commentary is a bit like leadership positions on the field that only batsmen seem to have a go at it. The, the bowlers seem to get They get a raw deal unless you show a spinner or something. Yeah, if your name's Shane Warne or, or Brett Lee, I guess. You also see Stephen O'Keefe in the commentary box for the Matador Cup, and I was surprised. He was a really good commentator. I think he's got a big future. That's like nominative box. nepotism, just because he's got the same name as Kerry O'Keefe. They're giving him a go. Well, I just think, you know, Australian player, nothing to do. They've roped him in. They've got Alyssa Healy in there. Was That was mm. a bit of nepotism. You have Ian Healy's brother running the, the ground that they were playing at, and then Heels are bringing Alyssa Healy into the commentary box. Um, she was okay, I think. That's being generous, I think. Oh, you've got Glenn Maxwell on this list. I think he would be okay. He, he seems to do things his own way. He's not afraid to play the reverse shot, the reverse sweep for six off the first ball. I think he could, he'd be hard to, yeah. to coach in the commentary box. You, you back him to string a full sentence together? 
Well, is that because he's a Victorian? No, I just he seems his mind's going in 30 different directions at once. I, I don't know. Well, it'll be, it'll be fascinating. I, I think the bar is set so low on, for cricket commentary on TV that any of these names... The fact that Michael Clark is the host just shows how little thought and, and care is no, being look, put into Look, I think you're right about Maxie. He's pretty savvy. He, gets, he does some video um, podcasts for Cricket Australia occasionally, and he is quite mm. uh, talkative. He, can, he, can inter- he interviewed Coley, which was a good one. Uh, but, yeah, he's, he's got a massive ego, Maxwell, so he'll, he'll want a microphone in front of him when he retires. No doubt about that. All right, so that's the commentary critique for this week. Now let's move on and go round the grounds. The Matador Cup concluded in Sydney last weekend. New South Wales are lifting the trophy again, as you tweeted so cleverly earlier, Patrick. Um, but a significant moment happened in the semi-final between New South Wales and Victoria when Daniel Hughes was struck in the head by, from a bouncer and he was subbed off under the concussion rule and Nick Larkin was his replacement and could have batted him. In fact, he almost batted until the rain came in and it would have been the first time ever we've seen the concussion rule used in Australia and the players have backed it and after mm. what we were talking about with what happened with Philip Hughes, I think this is a rule that has to happen. I agree. I also think in general one day cricket abandoned the substitute uh, sort of concept too early. Uh, you might remember going back 10, 12 years ago now that they, they trialled it for about, about 18 months where you named 12 players and then one of them was the sub. But it was always flawed because you, you, were, not, you were naming your sub before the toss instead of after the toss. So I think that this is a good, uh, good way of reintroducing the sub almost to the game. That it's if, got nothing to do with the sub. It's like no, but if what I mean if is you've got a concussion and you're injured, you don't really know what's going on and you need to be taken out of the game because a, a cricketer's mentality is, is a competitive one. So you, you feel like you want to keep playing when you probably shouldn't I guess be. the point I'm making is that I've got no problem with that 11 that starts a game being wholly sacred. If for some reason a player has to, uh, has to leave, I've got no problem with someone coming in and fulfilling batting, bowling and wicket-keeping, which at the moment the 12th man can't do. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is this rule had to come in because of, the, I guess, modern medical practices. The story is if you suffer from concussion, you can take no further part in the game, even if you, you feel fine, right? So the first I became aware of it, I think it was over the winter, Adam Voges was playing in the county uh, circuit over in England, and it happened to him day one, hit in the head, taken off, couldn't play uh, for a, a four-day game. So it was three and a half days that his team were playing effectively with 10 men. So if you're going to pull someone off the field, they cannot go back on. Okay, well, you have to allow a sub, I think, in that instance. Because if, you don't, if you don't allow a sub, the players, the, the mentality is not to, to go off because you're worried that you'll let your team down. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking yeah. of introducing a concussion rule for this podcast because last week I'm pretty sure I had minor concussion when I was uh, recording the show with Gus Wallen because, listeners, I'll take you behind the microphone. Unfortunately, just be- before the show started, I misjudged the distance between my head and a glass door and gave myself a fearful whack. And it wasn't until after I'd finished the show that I started to feel a bit dizzy. So I don't think I would have been... I think I would have been pulled out under the concussion rule. Now, let's move on now to the uh, final itself. It was won convincingly by New South Wales. Queensland were bowled out for 186. Nathan Lyon took four for 10. It was an amazing spell. He didn't concede a boundary in 10 overs. I thought the Queensland batsman didn't show enough respect, especially Usman Khawaja Mm. just tried to smack one out of the ground off a decent ball. It just wasn't good enough. And then Henrique's made 85 and Curtis Patterson 77 not out to lead New South Wales to a comfortable victory. 
Yeah, it was it was good to see New South Wales win it. They're gonna they seem to almost have a bit of a mortgage on this competition now. They get to host virtually every game. They you know, they've always got a very strong squad because of the you know, the baggy blue nexus with the baggy green. Don't you think that is I mean, that is the big complaint from other states that New South Wales get to play at home the whole time. I think they should start to think about rotating around the finals at least. Uh, you could have the tournament and look to the for the listeners the, the significant challenge for this tournament is economics. It is a massive loss for Cricket Australia and being in Sydney is a much a very economical way of hosting the tournament. There's a lot of people available to work on the tournament. It's easy to get labor whereas if they were to start moving it around the costs would go up a, considerably but I think they could play 80% of the tournament here but rotate the finals around different parts of the country the the truth is I don't think that they're putting a huge amount of thought into those issues I think they want to play a round robin tournament with a you know a truncated final system and they want to get this done as cheaply as possible and I think that they've come up with this idea of playing the vast majority of matches in suburban Sydney grounds I I don't care if New South Wales has an advantage I mean at the risk of peddling city-based stereotypes here, that you would think that if they played these games in Melbourne, you would get more people to them because just because Sydney is the city of empty seats. I wonder if it's a weather issue with Melbourne, the fact that, well, that it's, pro- it's yeah. so early in the summer that you get better cricket when you play in, in like they did here, Perth, Brisbane and New South Wales. You would be much more confident of, of less rain if you're playing all the games in Sydney. It's, it's an interesting one. Um, as an outsider, you know, I, I really don't, probably don't have a horse in, the, in this race necessarily but I, I've got to say I really have been enjoying the Matador Cup the last couple of years you know um, I went to a couple of games you know $10 you can take you along your esky and sit up on the grass and it'd be great if it went around the country it really would um, I'd love for everyone to be able to um, to enjoy it because it is great getting out seeing all the stars you know I was watching Glenn Maxwell for 10 for ten bucks you know it's incredible so uh, and on some of these grounds like that North Sydney Oval I mean 186 is just it's just not a good enough score from Queensland there. And you could tell that their batters were, they had every intent, I think, of being a bit more aggressive. I think they scored 400 on that ground last year and they, they were trying to get somewhere up around I, I maybe 300. I would say North Sydney Oval but, par uh, is 300. That's right. But what a spell from Lyon. He was, he was unbelievable, actually, his control. And uh, change of pace, I think. He, he was tossing it up there. And we saw it with Kawaja. He had a big heave and went straight up in the air. And... Um, uh, yeah, good signs for Lyon heading into this into the upcoming summer as well. Cameron White must be really upset that he wasn't given the Player of the Series award. He scored 457 runs at an average of 76 with 200s and 250s, but that wasn't deemed good enough for the Player of the Series award. Young Manus Lobeshkania from Queensland was given the Player of the Series with only 271 runs at 45, and he was... Tenth on the list, you had White, Enrique, Hughes, Doolan, Ferguson, Voges, Gibson, Madison, and Weatherald, all above Lobishkane, and he still got Man of the Series. Strange one there. I'm not sure who gave that one out. Yeah, and, and hard to even sort of imagine the reasoning there. I can. The only thing I can think of is he did score a lot of runs early in the tournament, um, and actually helped Queensland to sort of qualify for that final early on. They cricket were, cricket they Australia were clarified that it was done on a voting system. Oh right, okay. Um, I just. He must have got a lot of votes early, but it's just a very strange one when you've got Cameron White, who was so dominant, on Reeks, who had a really good tournament, and then they missed out. Two bowlers that did really well for New South Wales were Bollinger and Cummins. They took 15 wickets each. Uh, they were one, two of the leading wicket takers, and they probably bowled New South Wales to the title. 
my player of the Matador Cup, Mena's player to watch this summer of the Matador Cup, is young Cameron Valente from South Australia. He's a 22-year-old all-rounder. He was the joint leading wicket-taker with 15 wickets. Also scored a gutsy century down the order for the Sackers. But what I like about him is I like his mojo. I like his energy. I like his enthusiasm. So I think Valente is one to watch. Yeah, keep an eye out for that guy. Now, let's leave the domestic stuff uh, behind us and end this show with some good news. DRS is going to be trialled in the India-England Test Series coming up. We will not have the frustration of seeing Australia play in India next year without a DRS. So India are mm. finally caught up. Yeah, yeah. colour TV will be coming to India next. This is <laughs> fantastic to see them Just embracing technology. People. Yeah, no longer starting cars with a crank handle over there, I, I can tell. I know. It's, uh, it's good to see sledging and sort of, um, what should I say, yeah. stereotypes I think aren't dead on this podcast. I think... I'm very, very glad, happy that India uh, are coming to embrace DRS. I think DRS is the future of cricket. Well, it was I, a player revolt, apparently. Apparently, Coley was one of the chief yeah, instigators of this and went right. to the administration and said, we want to play with DRS. He strikes me as the kind of guy that would be leading the charge as well for Yeah, this because sort of if he stuff. gets a dodgy LBW decision, he wants yeah. to refer yeah. it. That's why. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, you've got to remember the main resistance to, to DRS, I think, faded away when Tendulkar retired. Um, you know, he didn't like it, and so there was no way India was going to adopt it while Tendulkar was playing. There's been a bit of distance, I guess, between his retirement and now, and it's not such a touchy, touchy subject. But there's also higher powers. Um, Anil Kumble has been, um, you know, speaking for DRS for a couple of years now as well, and obviously Kohli's the, the captain of, the, of your country. You're going to listen to him. So, um, yeah, about uh, bloody time, and uh, good on them. Yeah, good yeah. on them. Good. Thanks, India. I appreciate it. I think the the answer the administrators gave the players was that we want the system to be 100% before we take it on. And the players said, look, no system anywhere is 100%. I mean, what are you talking about? And, you know, when can you give 100% mark to anything? So we should just play with it as it is now. So finally some sense is prevailing on the subcontinent. Yeah, and the thing is the DRS was introduced to get rid of the howlers and you know what? It gets rid of the howlers 100% of the time. And it also fixes up all the, all the minutiae as well. Mm. I think it's done both jobs really well. Yeah, apart from the time Nathan Lyon didn't walk, but I'll let, it, I'll let that go soon. Well, I think uh, we'll let this show go soon. I think we've come to the end of the show. Are we going to put that up for DRS? Is it time to go home? Well, almost time to go home. I think I just want to let the listeners know that there's some great day-night Shield cricket this week, starting uh, Tuesday Australian time. So whenever you're listening to the show, it might have started, might be finished. It depends what time frame you're on. But uh, three games all played at night. So we'll get to see the pink ball at the Gabba in preparation for the first ever day-night test at the Gabba later on this summer. So get on to the Cricket Australia streaming site and stream. You can stream all these Shield games. So for a cricket tragic like me, it's heaven. Uh, Patrick, just off the cuff, what do you think? South Africa or Australia in the test series? Uh, I actually think South Africa is going to win the series. Uh, you actually think South Africa 2-1 win or 2-0? I think that Australia... Uh, mirrors South Africa conditions enough that they won't get the culture shock that, say, the Pakistan team will. I think the team comes settled and well-prepared. I think they've got a, a very good leader. I think they've got in Hashim Amla a very good batsman who also can put his arm around Faf Duplessis if any time things go bad. 
We've got Dale Stain, fantastic strike Avenal bowler. tips South Africa. Lock it in, people. And We've got a tip for the Saffirs already. What about you, Bob? Uh, no way. Um, I, I don't think so. I, I do some agree. I, look, I agree they've got a pretty good side. And remember when they were here last time, you know, some of those games, the two-day blockathon from Faf Duplessis, he'll remember that. And uh, they'll have some resolve there. But earlier I said they're quite a new side, and, and I think that is the case. You've got some new openers. You've got uh, Stephen Cook, who's shown a bit of promise, but he's no, new. Elga's uh, no good. Elga's no good. Dumini, you know, he's a bit some pieces He's very player. stylish. If he gets um, going, he can cause You're very trouble. stylish, Pat. Um, <laughs> They've got a couple of young spinners. So what's your, what's your couple score? Of new what seamers. do you think? Look, I think Australia would be far too strong at home. 2-0? 2-1? Uh, yeah, I don't see South Africa winning a game. Maybe 2 Let's go 2-0 Australia. I'm more worried about Pakistan, the threat that yeah, they pose. They have I agree. A, an absolutely deadly fast bowlers yep. who will thrive in the conditions here, which they don't, they don't normally have. I mean, they haven't I think had Australia this... will win all three tests but by I, innings against well, Pakistan. Well, I think, I think oh, you're no selling way. them way no short. Mizbah Halhaki, Yunus Khan, Azir Ali just got a triple century. Yep. I think... The Pakistani threat is a lot more than the South African threat. That's my hot tip. Yeah, the they're travel hardened. They're, they're, they're like they're battle weary. I mean, they've been doing push ups in England all summer. They are ready yeah. for this. And I think they were rightfully. There's probably not a lot to separate the top six teams. I've said that before, but so I do think they were, they were number Australia one. Australia number three. Yep. Pakistan number two. Yep. And South Africa five. South Africa five. Yeah. Yeah. That's pre- I'd say that's pretty fair enough. It's going to be a great summer. Actually, there's a lot of um, short form cricket as well. Um, but two really hot, I think, tests should be pretty pretty competitive test series. Well, guys and listeners, thank you so much as ever for downloading the Australian Cricket Podcast. Don't forget to enter the Have A Go Your Mug Mug competition. Beck Jones, send me your address. I'm going to send out the mug as soon as I have it. Patrick, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much, Menas. Bob, thanks for coming in. I'm still waiting for a soundtrack and some music for the podcast that you're apparently writing. Yep, and just a little wink to uh, our co-panellist, Nicholas, down in Melbourne. Um, Sorry, mate, but uh, New South Wales came through again. (laughs) Listeners, thanks for downloading the show. We'll be back next week with another show. Actually, Lisa Stalaker will be in next week, so we'll be chatting to Lisa and Macca. See you then. What a marvellous strike. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. Pad up. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.